immigration is a divisive issue and one that leaves little room for agreement. But before taking sides, it's important to understand the United States history of immigration. It's more than Donald Trump, border wall chants, tense congressional hearings. There's a reason immigration, legal or illegal, has ballooned in the country. Like always, politicians have been pulling the levers, controlling everything, making a mess, calling it a problem, and then pitting us against each other. But instead of looking at it as a political issue, let's understand it from a historical perspective. Ellis Island's bustling crowds of eager foreigners lay the foundation for United States immigration policy. This nostalgic period is known as the Great Wave from 1880 to 1920. During this time frame, an average 600,000 immigrants entered annually. At its height, in 1907, over 1 million people passed through Ellis Island. However, this mass influx started to taper off as the Roaring Twenties reared its head. National fear over the country losing its identity and culture led to our most limiting immigration law. Literacy tests were required for those 16 and up. Their tax increased and officials were afforded leeway in determining who to be let in. Fast forward a few years later and President Harding called a special session of Congress to establish immigration quotas. This was repeated in 1922 and 1923. Cementing the past three years of emergency provisions, President Coolidge signs the Immigration Reform Act of 1924. Aside from tinkering with the numbers, the acts were very similar to those of the previous years. Perhaps Coolidge said it best with this quote, America must remain American. And for the next four decades, it did. The results were more impressive than the media will let on today. The new stricter immigration system was both wildly popular and successful. Immigrants had been used to break strikes and compress wages, but now reforms started to erode this practice and create something new, the middle class. Immigration declined and hit its low point in the 60s. In 1965, both Senators Edward and Robert Kennedy promised Americans that the ethnic and cultural makeup of our country would not change. The law they championed did away with national origin quotas. Such quotas were designed to keep American demographics unchanged, basing quotas on each nationalist proportion in America at the time. Furthermore, two-thirds of the visas were reserved for those who were urgently needed in the United States. Immigration was a tool to benefit our nation, not nations of the world. The quotas had applied to select countries, primarily favoring Western Europe since they were the dominant nationality. They now were applied to all countries. But the measure was not just about diluting our homogeneity. It was about changing what it meant to be American. Family reunification became priority number one, superseding employment-based immigration practices. It was unlimited, meaning that immediate and extended family members were given preference. Chain migration was produced, creating one of the worst litmus tests for immigrants. Instead of earning your way into the U.S. based off of employment, one could get U.S. citizenship based off familial relation. Nepotism trumped assimilation. The public opposed the reform by a two-to-one margin, but cajoling by the political class prevailed and the rest is history. When political correctness was just in its prenatal form and common sense reign dominant, critics of the 1965 law were not quiet. A 1988 article 
By fortune, details how chain migration was becoming a looming nemesis to the American worker and the unrelated, unconnected immigrant. It pointed out that just one immigrant, given 12 years, could be the proxy for 25 new visas. Historian Otis Graham, professor emeritus of the University of California at Santa Barbara, notes the overarching problem with this nepotistic change. Quote, family reunification puts the decision of who comes to America in the hands of foreigners. Those decisions are out of the hands of Congress. They just set up a formula and its kinship. Frankly, it could be called nepotism. Since then, bad numbers caught up with the bad policy. Foreign-born individuals increased threefold. Since then, more than 59 million immigrants have been let in legally. This number jumps to more than 72 million if you count through U.S.-born children. In the 60s, seven out of eight immigrants were from Europe. Now nine out of 10 are from areas outside of Europe. At the time of the reform, Senator Sam Irvin was a staunch critic. He highlighted that unless a country has open borders, it discriminates against nationalities. And if we are going to discriminate, it should be done to benefit our country and not anyone else. He quipped that, quote, I don't know of any contributions that Ethiopia has made to the making of America. As one of Trump's biggest fans, especially on immigration, Ann Coulter has said, quote, Teddy Kennedy's 1965 Immigration Act so dramatically altered the kinds of immigrants America admits that since 1969, about 85% of legal immigrants have come from the third world. They bring third world levels of poverty, fertility, illegitimacy, and domestic violence with them. When they can't make it here, they just go on welfare. The entire point of the 1965 Act was to increase immigration. However, it did not control for assimilation. Not only has this caused economic disruption, but it has also changed the fabric of our country. In America, we cling to the words life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But it is not a pursuit when you get citizenship because a relative did. Many claim that immigrants built the country and we owe it to them to continue with these loose immigration policies. This is a falsehood. Immigrants of today are not necessarily the immigrants of the past. The melting pot no longer melts. Letting millions of people into our country to work brutal, low-paying jobs isn't mercy, it's menacing. When people say that immigrants do jobs Americans don't want, what you're really doing is forcing them into a lifestyle that you don't want. Cartels and coyotes take advantage of illegal immigrants. In a lot of ways, when we let immigrants in legally through chain migration or turning a blind eye to assimilation, our country takes advantage of those immigrants. Every person on this planet deserves a place, a community, and safety. But swinging the doors wide open and looking the other way won't help anyone. Not our national interest and definitely not immigrants. All we end up doing is changing their zip code, but not their place in life. We must take immigrants who can contribute to the U.S., make it better, stronger, and wealthier. That way, we can make it an even more promising land for even more immigrants. In a lot of ways, we adopt the mindset of the soft bigotry of low expectations. Let's not. Expecting more from immigrants isn't xenophobic. It's a testament to their strength. Because let's face it, America wouldn't be what she is today without the hard work of immigrants.